Hey, this is Sunny Bunch uh, back with another episode of The Bulwark Goes to Hollywood. I am joined today by Jerry Daly. Uh, Jerry has 15 years experience in home entertainment sales, uh, including 13 years with 20th Century Fox, RIP, uh, working in category management. We'll talk a little bit more about what Catman, as he as he puts it in his email to me, is. Uh, and at one time was a, an election and politics blogger with a fairly sizable audience. His, his word's not mine. I would say an enormous audience, you know, uh, quoted in the Wall Street Journal, Washington Post, and New York Post. Um, I am very excited for this call because as listeners of the show know, I am a big believer in physical media, home sales. If you if you want to have something forever, you got to have a thing that you can hold in your hand and can't be deleted off of your off the cloud or taken off your streaming services. So um, this is a very fun chat for me. And one the, the one of the reasons I reached out to Jerry, um, who I've talked to on and off in DMs over the years, was there was a very interesting story in, uh, 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 I think it was Uproxx, about the movie Cocoon not being available on Blu-ray in the United States. There were some out-of-region DVDs and Blu-rays that you could pick up, but it was simply not available in high definition in physical media for... American audiences. And this is kind of fascinating because Cocoon is not a small movie. I mean, it's not, and it, it, it was a relatively big hit at the time, but it's not like an all-time classic. It's not something that you you would think like, okay, you have to have it in your home video audio, uh, home video library, but it is a movie that I think a lot of people still like and would want to watch at home. Uh, so Jerry, why did Cocoon not really exist for American audiences on Blu-ray? What, what, what's going on here? Yeah, so actually, I didn't know the answer to this, but I knew exactly where to go. It turns, you know, Cocoon was distributed by Fox. So I called up one of our old sales team guys, the guys that would actually be involved in trying to get retailers to, to carry it. And he said, you know, back in the, the day, as he would put it, back in 2006 or so, um, you know, they, they would pitch this title. Um, generally, it wouldn't get accepted into what they called the reset or what's carried throughout the year at Walmart. But they had a lot of success getting it into what they call promotional mods, which would run seven, eight weeks. And they generally get it in around the holidays and it would do OK. Um, and they try to get it into the the full assortment. But, you know, we, we can get into how these decisions eventually get made, but it basically didn't turn enough on DVD to be what they would call an evergreen title, consistently making every reset modular and therefore, you know, be one of the top titles. Mm -hmm. Now, when the uh, Blu-ray format came out, now every retailer had a decision to make, which is essentially how much real estate do you invest in this new format while it grows to where it actually would be competitive with DVDs. And basically the studios are looking at this knowing there's a limited amount of Blu-ray space. We're going to prioritize the top sellers, the ones that are getting into the stores on DVD, obviously skewed to the ones that would be a better fit for a higher def performance. 
But the fact of the matter is, since it wasn't selling well enough on DVD and it wasn't the type of action or or cinematic masterpiece that would get a significant upgrade for Blu-ray, it just wasn't a priority. And then as the category declined, as as sales moved on to digital, the space starts contracting. And even though um, we never got to the point where DVD went away and everything went to Blu-ray, that space is even cut in half. Mm -hmm. So since it never sold well enough on DVD, it never got made into a Blu-ray. And, you know, you would think that a studio could just go and say, I'm going to make every title we have available. It just doesn't work like that. There is limited capacity at the replicators. There's limited, um, you know, it costs money to actually make the prints and then you have to, to maintain them and whatnot. And as such, you know, they, there are, if you notice, not many titles are actually out on 4K now. Mm -hmm. um, and the catalog titles are not coming out on 4K uh, very often. Um, so, you know, it was one of those things where just because it never sold well on DVD, it never even got made as a Blu-ray in the US. Mm -hmm. Or actually, I don't think the Blu-ray is available anywhere. I think the DVD is available mm -hmm. overseas, um, but in limited quantities. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I there there are so many different tangents to track down just from this one story. Um, but, but one I want to talk about first is the power of the actual physical retailers to, to, you know, make or break a home video release. You know, this is one of the fascinating things I learned at my last job. Um, uh, was you, you, if you take a movie like, uh, you know, it, it, who you are able to put on the cover, uh, of, of your movie makes a big difference on who is, who is going to stock your movie, right? So if you, if you, if you have a retailer like, uh, Walmart, uh, Walmart will look at a movie like, say, uh, a dragged across concrete, which is not, you wouldn't think is necessarily a Walmart style audience, but it's a movie where you have Mel Gibson on the cover. You have Vince Vaughn on the cover. Um, you know, you can, you can put that on shelves and be like, Oh, a Mel, a Mel Gibson, Vince Vaughn movie. Sure. I'll, I'll, I'll watch that. Um, uh, and, and the, the, the kind of, again, it's, it's the power of these physical retailers who frankly, we on the internet, you know, we sit here all the time and talk on Twitter and, and on Facebook and stuff. And we're, we, we don't really think about the actual, uh, the actual power of these retailers to kind of make or break titles. Is it simply, I mean, it, it really is just a function of space, right? Like the, the, you know, what they can, how much stuff they can actually put in the store at any time. Well, it is that, and it's, it's other things as well. So, but to, to, um, basically drive home a point you just made there circa 2008 or 2009, um, the person who decides what's coming into a, a Walmart or a Target or a Best Buy are known in the industry as the buyers, mm -hmm. right? And the buyer at that time, uh, a, a good friend of mine, Tiffany Van Lar, actually made Rolling Stone's top 50 most powerful people in Hollywood list and not at the bottom of it, uh, probably... I want to say in the mid 20s. 
So, you know, that's the Walmart buyer was considered that influential within Hollywood. Um, but, you know, the, the, they really didn't have the ability to make or break titles when they come, first come out, new releases, right? Everybody's going to carry the new releases or at mm -hmm. least the big ones, right? The smaller titles like you you mentioned there um, may, may not, you know, they can make or break those, but those aren't the ones that are making or breaking, um, you know, the home entertainment field. And so what would end up happening, I'll use 20th Century Fox as my example, right? Because we all know the success that Fox had with Fox Searchlight. Right. Mm -hmm. Especially with the well-oiled machine that they had for turning Fox Searchlight titles into Academy Award winners. Sure. Right. Sure. With Dog and Pony Show. And boy, did Fox know how to play it. Um, but basically, you would leverage titles like Deadpool to be able to get titles like Shape of Water. Actually, Shape of Water is probably a terrible one to use because yeah. once it won the Academy Award, it had- Everyone is, yeah. Yeah, but there are plenty of smaller titles that Fox could, hey, I'll give you a point of margin if you carry these other titles, right? Wow, see, that's that's fascinating to me. I, I had no idea about this because this is basically block booking. This is like the old- uh, this is what Hollywood studios used to do, right? Like, if you want to carry our John Wayne movie or whatever, you know, in, in, in before the Paramount decrees, if you want to carry this movie, you have to carry these other smaller movies. And that's one of the things that the uh, Supreme Court said, you can't do that anymore. Now it might be coming back. I don't know. Anyway, I'm sorry. I, I didn't mean to interrupt. Go on. No, it's it's not necessarily that that you have to. It's that, you know, they 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 have rate cards, right, where we will give this amount of margin depending on the size of the box office and everything. And those rate cards are negotiated. Right. So it's not as clean cut as we give you this and you take that. It's mm -hmm. that we negotiate these rates, and as soon as you do it, in order to get these rates, you may have guaranteed placement on certain fixtures even, not so much even come into the store, really? but not every placement is equal, right? Movies sure. is, especially on disc, is a heavily impulse category. There's, there are phrases of plan purchases and impulse purchases. More than half of disc sales are impulse. And mm. therefore, you need to not have these movies be in the movies department, but you have to have them where the traffic is. So the end caps are very, very valuable space. And the out of department fixtures are very, very valuable space. And the studios fight over those. Mm -hmm. But the point is, the new releases, they pretty much take care of themselves. You can negotiate to get better placement for them. But, you know, now maybe we're getting to where, um, you know, it's harder to get titles in. But the pro the real money comes from for the studios once it gets into the catalog sections. Once you get out of the new release windows, and you then have already met and hopefully met what they call the ultimate for the title. Now everything there is just profit. It's just mm -hmm. gravy. 
And so those, those catalog fixtures get very, very competitive to, to get on, especially the prime placement. And they'll leverage new releases to help them get better placement. Yeah, yeah. And so what is what is the actual process for a studio like when, when they're trying to decide what uh, what they're going to move into their own catalogs, right? How do you, uh, is it, is, is it simply a numbers game of, well, this, this sold X number of copies, this sold Y number of copies. We're not going to go below a certain number. I mean, I'm, I'm, um, I assume it's all economics, which like, you know, the art critic in me is like, oh, this is in it. But, but also like, I understand the business of it. I mean, it's a real, it's a real, uh, as you say, there are limits to the amount of production that can be done even if you wanted to produce 100,000 copies of everything. No, that's very true. But, um, you know, the, the things are changing over time, right? So with Amazon, it's brutally uh, algorithm-driven, right? Mm-hmm. They're, uh, you know, the algorithm decides what they're going to, de- uh, you know, value. And, yeah, you can negotiate the, the margins to get profitability, but Amazon very much has their algorithm telling them what they want to be highlighting. Now, mm-hmm. Amazon doesn't have the same limitation on shelf space, but they have very strict limitations on what you find without actually searching specifically for. However, your other retailers, it's much more of a art and science blend. So every studio has their own analytics division. Category management actually fell into the global research and development uh, branch of Fox's home entertainment group. Um, But, you know, there's there's the strategic direction that each retailer is going to decide on. And your numbers may say we should be going in a different direction. But if you can't convince that retailer that that's the way to go overall, then they're not going to go along with it. So, Mm -hmm. you know, the sales team or the brand, as they call the brand team um, and the uh, the the um, um, God, I'm forgetting the the other name of the division. They get together and they try to meld together what the numbers say will have the highest demand with with what they know the retailer's strategy is going to be or what they think they can convince the retailer's strategy to be and then go in that direction. So let me give a good example. Um, As you're well aware, over the years, Hollywood has kind of hollowed out the middle right? You have your blockbusters mm-hmm. and then you have your cheap movies. And the, sure. the old $75 million, $50 million movies just are fewer and far between. Um, you don't get the midnight runs as often these days as right. you would in the past. Well, there are certain fixtures where, which depended on a solid stream of mid-tier movies to augment the blockbusters. And when the movie production moved away from those, now that fixture just wasn't getting the same quality put into it. And this puts that entire fixture at risk, right? Because within a a Walmart, and I'm specifically talking about what they call the Action Alley fixture. It's, Mm -hmm. It's sat in the middle of 
the racetrack, that, that, you know, roundabout in the middle of the stores and high impulse fixture and all the recent release titles that had been repriced would go on this fixture. Well, if you've got fewer of these titles that merit that kind of placement coming out, what do you fill it with? Well, one of the studios, not, not Fox, but another one came up with a strategy. Well, if we don't have that middle tier, we're going to take a middle tier or a lesser middle tier title that's maybe a little bit older, and we're going to package it with three other titles that we can mm -hmm. theme together. And thus was born the multi-pack. <laughs> and all of a sudden, the multi-pack took over the Action Alley fixture, right? right. So Yeah, sure. And this wasn't, you know, their analytics saying, hey, you know what? If we package three Adam Sandler movies together, this is going to take off. No, what it was, was we don't have anything to pitch that would appeal to what they're putting on this fixture. So we had to come up with something, a hook that mm -hmm. we can basically sell in the promise of. And yeah. lo and behold, that's what happened. And boy, at, as soon as that happened, now that was everything was going to be on that fixture was going to be a multi-pack. That's interesting. That that I mean, that that's really because I, you know, I have several of these. Usually they're not uh, impulse purchases for me. It's usually like I'm like, I, what was the last one? Oh, the last one I, I bought was Die Hard. I needed Die Hard. So I went to I went to my local Target and I went to the I went to the action adventure section and got to the D's. And I was like, wait, no, no Die Hard, no Die Hard. But it was in a pack with God. What was it? It was like Die Hard, the A team, the the uh, the Joe Carnahan A team. Um, Mr. and Mrs. Smith and something else, uh, just, just kind of all lumped together. And I was like, okay, I mean, I was going to pay $10 or $15 or whatever for Die Hard, but I will pay $10 or $15 or whatever for all four of these movies. That's, that's fine by me. Um, it's, and it, it I, I was curious about the economics of it because it seems almost self-defeating, but I guess if it is, if you're, if you're talking about impulse purchases, people are like four movies for the price of one. Yes. Yes. And and basically the the entire movies category on disc is becoming um you know split. It's 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 the same as the haves and haves nots. It's basically boiling down to new releases and value right now. And within the industry, value has a very specific meaning uh, that's separate from um, you know, what you would call value. Value gen generally means opening price point. So you're talking about your $5 and three seventy four movies, right? Our value. Um, and the middle that had gotten hollowed out, which was always the 15 and then 13 and $12 price points, that's, you know, the studios needed to maintain that price point. And the way that they ended up doing it was with these multi-packs, right? Mm. They didn't want to take Die Hard and put it in the value bin. So they put Die Hard with three other titles they put in the value bin and put them on the Action Alley fixture at 13 bucks. Mm. Man, that's, I, that's, it's fascinating. Because I, you know, I, as a consumer, I've kind of watched this market rise and fall um you know if we're in a if we're in a decline phase right now you know i was i was in high school in the late 90s when the you know best buy revolution happened and you know cds were 10 bucks a pop 
right? And that was, it was, or eight, nine dollars a pop, try, just trying to get people in the door. Um, and then DVDs came along and it was the same thing. It was like, you, you, you get the new releases, they're $15 or whatever, and, and you're just trying to get people in the door. Um, I, 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 like, I'm just curious what it was kind of, what it, what it was like to be in the home video market at, at this point. So if you were 15 years ago, so that's what, 2005, um, that must've been, I like, that's, that's, that, that has to almost be like kind of the top of the home video market, right? Pretty close to it. Yes. And, and, you know, when you mentioned a few minutes ago, it it almost seems self-defeating, Boy, we should go down that road in a little bit. <laughs> but, you know, speaking of circa 2005, 2006, when I was, um, you know, interviewing or even pre-interviewing, just talking with someone about this potential job, it was couched to me as, you know what, this will be a five-year gig. It'll be a five-year gig because the category is going to move online. Right. Mm -hmm. And category management, what I do is not a cheap endeavor. It's an investment by a studio, Um, you know, millions of dollars a year to, to do category management the right way. And the full belief within the studio community was that within five years, by 2011, 2012, discs would be relegated to nothing but, you know, two or three dollar discs, right? Mm. It did not play out that way at all. And and that's kind of gratifying. I don't know, you know, how much I contributed to it, but my job, I was hired in to extend the life of physical as long as possible within the retailers. And, you know, here we are in 2020, and it's it's a fraction of what it once was, but these are not meaningless footprints in these yeah. retailers, right? It's not what has happened to music, right? Right. So, right. Um, you know, the expectation within the industry was that the digital transition was going to happen a lot faster than it did. And I mean, it was going to happen a lot faster than it did. And a lot of the strategic decisions that were being made were based on that faulty premise. And so there were a lot of things that happened, not just deciding to, you know, essentially devalue certain other products by making multi-packs, right? If if you've got a multi-pack next to a single $12 movie, guess which the customer is normally going to gravitate to. So it did that. But from Redbox, the studio's relationships with Redbox, later, same basic premise with the studio's relationship with Netflix. All of these decisions, and we can go into what they were if you want, but all of them basically were to the detriment of their own category in the long run. Mm-hmm. And they still haven't gotten to the point where they can replace the revenue that they were getting from this sales at the peak in, in 2004, 2005. Um, so, you know, it's, 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 yeah, it, it's, it's really sad what's happened because no matter what anyone says, you can stream 4K. 
you know this, but I don't know if everybody listening to this knows it. Streaming 4K compared to a 4K disc playing on a TV with high dynamic range, there's no comparison yeah. to the experience. It's not even remotely in the ballpark. And people are saying, I'm streaming 4K. Well, you're not getting the same experience. You're really not. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, it's a, so I, I, I have thus far kind of resisted upgrading to 4k. Um, and we, we I want to, I want to get into this in a minute because I'm part of the problem when it comes to the, the, the UHD 4k physical media, uh, I mean, essentially not, not really taking off like it should. Um, th- th- let's, let's touch uh, briefly on what you just mentioned with Netflix and Redbox yes. and the the way the the studios kind of shot themselves in the foot um, you know with with making making it so easy for people to just you know pay a dollar for for their movies or seven dollars a month for Netflix or whatever whatever the disc disc plans were back in the day um, let's 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 look at that as a as a way that they kind of uh, destroyed their own value proposition. Yeah, and it's not just they, um, it's not just the studios that did it, the retailers did it too. So Redbox, right? Um, long ago, back with Blockbuster, uh, the Supreme Court had said, studios, you, you can't prevent rentals. You can't mm. prevent rental right. stop. So, net, you know, and the price point on rentals had been held at, in the 3 to $5 range for a long time. And then, you know, Redbox came along and said, we're going to do it in mass in vending machines for a buck, right? And the studios did not like this. The retailers did not like this. Rewind to what the, the industry was like back then. The retailers actually did not make money from selling new release titles at that point directly. Mm-hmm. They actually, for Street Week, made negative margin on it. Mm-hmm. They actually lost money for every single copy they sold because all of them were doing what they, you know, essentially temporary price reductions during Street Week to try and drive foot traffic. And they could see it in their store-wide metrics. A new title would come out, Cars comes out, and they could see the entire box go up on street day. And they Mm -hmm. knew that even though we're losing money on every disc we're selling, we're coming out ahead because of the market baskets, right? So, you know, it was a, a, a very lucrative business but a hard one for the merchants to sell internally because they're saying, hey, for new releases, we're actually losing money uh, on, on these. So Redbox comes along. Redbox negotiates with a different, you know, a different department within Walmart. They're not talking to the disc buyer. They're talking to the people who run the front of stores. And they manage to sell in Redbox boxes into 4,000 Walmart stores right at the front of the store where you walk in and you see $1 rentals, right? And impulse category, right? Who's going to then pay 24 bucks for a new release when they know I can wait three months and get it for a buck to watch 
from that mm -hmm. machine, mm -hmm. right? So this really, really harmed Walmart, Target, and Best Buy, or, or at least their electronics department. Right. Walmart had decided that this was in their benefit. Why? Because the studios were telling them, hey, we got to make our money now because in five years it's going digital. So Walmart's not thinking I'm going to invest in the back, back of the department. I'm going to get my money from these guys real quick. Now, the fun part about this was the studios went along with it and didn't fight it too much because... They're not losing money on, on new releases as they come out. And what Redbox was doing was they were sending their associates out to Walmart, out to Target, out to Best Buy, whoever had the lowest street day price, and they'd buy up hundreds of copies of the titles and then mm -hmm. go and put them into the, all their boxes. So they're releasing mm -hmm. it on the same day, right? And... You know, the studios, like I said, they're getting as if the disc was being sold for $24.99. They're getting the margin on that, even if the disc is being sold at $17.99 because retailers were marking it down themselves to draw the traffic in, right? right. So you can see how all of this is now going to, in the long run, devastate both businesses, right? Sure. Because Walmart no longer is driving the foot traffic into the store because people are going to that machine to get it for a buck if they want to wait online. Um, the studios are getting their money for the short term, but that's going to eat up the overall customer demand. And no matter how many discs Redbox was buying, it was a fraction of what was being sold overall previously, but it no longer was driving the same traffic. So now the retailers aren't going to loss lead the way they were, right? So the price goes up and now new releases aren't going to sell for as low. Mm -hmm. which drives even more traffic to Redbox. Right. But the retailers also are now saying, screw this. I don't want to lose money on my street day disc. So they start negotiating a little bit harder with the studios who now have to seed margin. And now the studios go, you know what? Rather than sell to Walmart, I bet I can sell directly to Netflix. I mean, to Redbox. And they started cutting deals to do this, right? Mm -hmm. Now the retailers are happy because they're not losing uh, money on Street Week. They don't have to do sure. the temporary price reduction um, because they don't have to worry about Redbox coming in, buying $300, uh, 300 units at a loss for Walmart and putting it into their machines to take even more sales away. Right. Right. Now, now the studios are selling direct to, to, to Redbox. Walmart's not losing any, any sales on the disc. So they, they think they're happy. But now all the traffic's going to $1 rentals rather than to $25 sales. Right. And that, that doesn't really work. And it set the price point for rentals lower then the studios who had a, a, a vested interest in moving to digital for any number of reasons 
but it set the price point lower than studios wanted to charge for video on demand and do charge for video on demand years later. So when the studios decided to start selling directly to Redbox, they made Redbox more profitable, they hurt their physical business, and they slowed the transition to digital, which was the basis for their entire physical strategy. So, so a good decision is what you're saying. Well, but in the short term, it was, right? Yeah. In the short term, made that fiscal year look great, right. made the next fiscal year look great. But it changed where they, you know, it basically changed the dynamics within the physical industry tremendously. Now, you could make the argument, well, wait a second, if it slowed the transition to digital, that's great because, you know, you were hired for a five year extend the physical life and and it's still being extended into 2020. Didn't it work? Well, no, because even though it slowed it down, the decline was fairly steep and the growth of transactional digital not that steep. So the transactional home entertainment business started hemorrhaging money quite a bit. Enter Netflix. Well, if your physical business is declining and your digital transactional business is, you know, not growing where it is, how about subscription streaming? Now you can give us a bundle, if you will, to bundled selling. You Mm -hmm. give us access to a hundred of your catalog titles and new releases on Netflix for one big check, right? Different division within Fox selling there. Now it's whoever has Jim Janopoulos's ear as Mm -hmm. to who's going to get the precedence and the streaming guys get it. Now that's going to hurt the physical business even more. And that's, you know, essentially the same dynamic that played out in in physical with Redbox, then played out yet again with Netflix. Yeah. Is the so do you think that the move that we're seeing the studios make to try and set up all of their own streaming services will fix this problem or is it too late? I mean, I like I'm I actually really like how the HBO's HBO Max or, you know, whatever is is set up. I I'm a I like I'm actually a kind of evangelist for it on on my various platforms. But uh but it also, you know, I like I, who who is going to subscri- subscribe to HBO Max and Disney Plus and Universal's Peacock, right? And, you know, all of the other every on top of of course Netflix, which is now in the business of producing their own stuff, Amazon Prime, Hulu, you know, I, I mean, they're just we 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 live in this world now where every every studio, every distributor is setting up a streaming service, and it seems untenable. Well, you know, I can't see the future on that, but there are a couple of interesting things with it. First off, just an observation, right? When I was growing up in the the seventies and eighties, there were you know all these TV channels, and when I say all of them, there were four, right? <laughs> or if you lived in New York like me, there were eight, and then right. cable came along, and now you got sixty. Okay, great, but 
you know, there were these channels that were, you know, in competition with each other, CBS, NBC, ABC. That's where you got your movies from. That's where you got your TV shows from. Um, but over time, you know, uh, home video started competing with it. But more importantly, the advertising dollars went away or started eroding. And when that happened, there's no longer the money there that there was before. But we come full circle. How do you get the money if advertising isn't there? Well, now you do streaming. So what are we ending up with? We're ending up with a bunch of different channels, all competing <laughs> yeah. with each other that we're paying for, not indirectly by advertising, which even though advertising, it's not coming out of my pocket, it certainly is because Chef Boyardee has an advertising budget and they get sure. it from their sales, right? Sure. So, you know, everything has come full circle. We're back to the networks, but instead of the networks being ABC, it's ABC's streaming service, CBS's streaming service, Disney Plus, Netflix, Amazon Prime. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I lost my train of yeah. thought. But... No, no, it, no. But it, so this this kind of brings me brings me back to physical, which obviously, again, is my 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 favorite form of media. You know, it's, as you say, the quality that you get from streaming uh, a 4K disc is not the same as you or the quality that you get from streaming 4K is not the same that you get as you get from a 4K disc. Unfortunately, I don't I don't have any experience with this because I am not a 4K television owner i I've, i'm kind of waiting for the oled prices to come down a little bit because i've i have a perfectly good plasma that works very nicely and i'm i, I love the deep blacks i can oh, i can yeah. i can watch pretty much all the all the stuff i want on that but again i'm i'm like kind of contributing here to the lack of 4k excitement uh in the in the physical world i there was a there was a great piece that came out a couple years back um by uh, a, a woman uh who had looked at what what happened uh, with each generation of home video, right? So you have VHS to DVD to Blu-ray and and you know to 4K in the future, um, and even streaming. And what what you look at when you look at these titles is there are fewer Blu-rays than there are DVDs. There are fewer DVDs than there are VHS. Um, there are f fewer 4K than there will be Blu-ray, uh, presumably. Um, it, it, I don't know that I have a question here, except kind of an exasperated howl to say what are what what is the future uh, of these of these discs? I mean, I I I, I fear that we are headed to a um, either one of two options. Which well, the first would be that that uh, physical media goes extinct entirely, which would be unfortunate, I think, um, or that it becomes a purely boutique. Uh, experience kind of like owning a LP uh, record player, right? Or owning, you know, uh, uh, other kind of niche home video and home audio goods. Yeah, bet on that. Bet on that. Yeah. Um, basically, you know, I don't know how long the f it'll take for the future to get here, but eventually what you see has happened to music will happen with DVDs as well. DVDs will be reduced to a small, small, small foot footprint that may be in its entirety a value bin. Um, but 
all new release titles are going to come out on 4K. Um, mm-hmm. You know, at least the big ones, just because you know they they're making them as they come out. It doesn't need to have somebody go, "Hey, we might sell." 5,000 units of this. They know they're going to sell 5,000 units of it. So it's going to get made. Um, so I think that, you know, the the way that vinyl has made a comeback, there are always people who are collectors. There are always your audiophiles and your cinemaphiles, right? And as such, there will always be a market for that. So I don't think it will ever go away completely. Even, even you know, if the, the category completely cratered, I have a feeling Walmart can find room for eight feet of movies, right? They, they mm-hmm. can have the new releases in, in 4K or Blu-ray, and they can have their value. And that's going to continue for a long, long time. Um, but, you know, as far as um, older titles being converted and coming out, that's going to become few and far between. Um, mm-hmm. And this gets into an interesting thing, which is one of these things is not like the other. One studio behaved very differently than all of the other studios every step of this way. And that's Disney. Disney was its own beast, right? Mm -hmm. And without getting into the politics of it, I I gave a presentation in Fox Plaza one time and I threw out, and this was very early in in mid-2015, early in mid, good good English chair. Um, (laughs) But I basically, you know, made the point that Disney was the Donald Trump of the home entertainment sphere. The normal rules didn't apply to them, right? Everybody's trying to figure out what other studio strategies would be, but where all the other studios were in a race to get placement and thereby devaluing their own product, Disney always went the other direction. They had a marginal interest in selling discs. They wanted to maintain scarcity of their titles, right? Right. The vault. The vault. They would put titles into the vault for 5, 10, 15 years, right? So, quite frankly, what's going to happen to Cocoon? I bet you 10 years down the road on an anniversary or something, they'll come out with a diamond edition. Mm-hmm. But they'll put it in the vault. It's in the vault right now. But yeah. not intentionally, but that's the Disney model. Disney was not going to work with Redbox. Disney instead was going to strong arm the retailers to put limits on their cash registers so no one could buy more than two copies, right? Now, if a Redbox person's coming in to buy 300 copies, they got to go through the line 150 times. Guess what's Mm -hmm. not going to happen to Black Panther, right? Right. It's not going to have those rental sales. So that was Disney's approach was always, we're going to maintain scarcity. Now they didn't have Disney plus ready to go. So for a while they did have a deal with Netflix and you would have finding Nemo coming 
out on there very, very quickly. But that was also them testing the waters to see, you know, does this this model actually work, right? Yeah. But every studio, you know, back, and I, re I remember the point I was going to make before about, you know, all these different streaming services and everything. It, it's all about everyone wanted a direct relationship with the consumer, right? Because that's the way you can get more of your product in front of them. It's the way you can do deep learning on all of the information they give you when you have that direct relationship what time are you watching what do you watch after it how deep into it do you watch do you think netflix tells fox or told fox back in the day hey you know this title people are buying it but they only watch the first 20 minutes of it maybe but they don't give it all the data they they right. that would happen in discussions studios want that information they want to know more about it so you know all of these streaming services that's why they're popping up they want that direct relationship because otherwise they have to pay amazon they have to pay netflix they have to pay to to get that right. data if they'll even sell it to them which they probably wouldn't right right yeah i it's it it uh... Uh, again, I, I understand why the studios want to, to move to digital and I understand all of this. It just is it's so it's so distressing sometimes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, uh, and you put the blame on yourself a little bit and you should because you need <laughs> to understand. By the way, it's it's really not 4K. 4K is not the big step up. It's the high dynamic range. Yeah, that's, the HDR. That's right, the yeah. step up, right? Um, if you just get a 4K TV to stream 4K, then there's no real reason for you to buy a 4K player yeah. because you're yeah. going to get the same experience. It's that HDR, the high dynamic range that makes yeah. watching The Martian on, on a HDR TV incomparable to what you can stream. It just, it's yeah. not even close, not even in the remote ballpark. Yeah. But it's going yeah, to be a niche. No, I, it's I, never going to be, it's never going to be um, what you used to get. It's never even going to get to where Blu-ray was. Just yeah. not going to happen. Yeah. I mean, it really was, it really was a crazy kind of golden age in, you know, the, the uh, basically first half of the 2000s, right? When you could people were building dvd libraries that were the size of uh you know their their record collections or their cd collections got one uh, you know crazy crazy well i i th that's that's pretty much everything i wanted to ask is there anything you think that the audience should know about home video sales what 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 the business what the future of the business is uh if they want to better understand how home video uh, as a market kind of impacts the 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 world of Hollywood? Well, the, you know, I, I don't know if I can give that kind of answer, but I can tell one thing that is really interesting with movies specifically, and, and it probably applied to music as well, um, but those are probably the only categories of product where your competitors are also your good friends. What I mean by that is if a person doesn't buy a Fox product and they buy a, a universal product, 
that's not really bad for Fox. And I can say that because Fox doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> but you, you get what I'm saying. Yeah, sure. When you're creating movie lovers, you're creating demand for your own product. If somebody buys Rice Krispies instead of IGs, I don't even know my brand, so I can't tell you one that's not made the same. But, you know, that, yeah, that customer, close, them yeah. eating that other cereal doesn't make them more likely to buy yours. It makes it less. However, mm -hmm. if, uh, if somebody picks up The Dark Knight, it does make them more likely to eventually pick up X-Men 2, right? Mm -hmm. So the, the home entertainment category is all about building movie lovers. That's, and so the studios actually have a vested interest in each other succeeding and mm -hmm. not in an anti-competitive fashion, in very much a competitive fashion. It's good for the consumer if... My competitor succeeds, and it's good for me if my competitor succeeds. That's a very different dynamic than just about any other industry you can find. And it, it's, it was made it, you know, actually a very fun thing to be in the middle of because you did have cutthroat salesmen going at each other, but they also, when they lose, they also knew that, yeah, that's a good thing that's going to sell, and we want things that are going to sell because that keeps our footprint nice and big mm -hmm. and it keeps generating entertainment fans. Uh, Jerry, thank you for so much for being on the show with me. This was, I, 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 I'm, as I said, I'm, uh, I find this topic deeply fascinating. And I think that the, the niche of listeners that I have, which is about the same size as the niche of buyers for 4k, media uh is is going to really dig it um and if if they have any questions uh what's your what's your twitter handle let's let's tell them jerry dales g-e-r-r-y-d-a-l-e-s perfect uh if you have any questions uh feel free to drop them a line i can't promise i'll answer uh and you know no I, be I block be people bother yeah. me i just block quick quick block so be, just be polite, uh, and uh, I, I will be back next week with another episode of The Bulwark Goes to Hollywood. Mm -hmm.